following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So when, uh, a couple years ago, my uh, maternal grandmother died, um, her name was, uh, we called her Gigi. Um, we didn't call her Gigi until my kids were born. I called her Grandma. Uh, and then my kids were born, and she became a great-grandmother. And my cousin's kids were born, and she was even more of a great-grandmother. So we started to call her Gigi, and that just stuck with us until uh, her last days. Um, but when she died, she um, left behind only one living grandparent for my sister and me, because uh, our grandfathers had already died years before. And so um, all we had left, uh, and she's still with us now, is Graham. My, uh, my Maine grandmother, like the state of Maine. Um, and uh, my sister, who is a much better person than I, uh, decided that she wanted to do something for Graham, who's still with us. And so what she wanted to do was a living funeral. Have you ever heard of a living funeral before? I had never heard of this before. But the idea of a living funeral is that you, you do what hopefully happens at your funeral, um, which is... People come together to, to honor you and remember you and to say uh, what a wonderful person that you were. And um, have you ever been at a funeral and thought, boy, it would be nice if this person had heard these things while they were still with us? And so the idea of a living funeral is that you, it's a very intimate thing. Um, you, you, you say to a person all the things that you might say at their funeral so that they can hear them. Um, and my sister did that, I think. I, um, it's, it's even for somebody you love very much, maybe especially for somebody you love very much, it seems kind of like, ooh, that's... I'm not sure I'm ready for that type of intimacy just now. Um, but, you know, Beth is a wonderful person, and she, she did this. And she, so she led the family in all of this. Um, and uh, please understand, I'm not, uh, I'm not intending in <laughs> what I'm about to say to equate my taking uh, an extended vacation um, with uh, someone, someone coming to the end of their life. Um, but I did start to think about the idea of saying something to somebody when you have the chance, right? rather than waiting for some future date that might not come. And so I thought it might make sense for my last sermon before I go on sabbatical for four months to uh, give you the sermon that I would give you if I knew it was actually my last sermon. Right? It's not. I'm coming back. Um, but it's my last one for a while. And so I thought it might be good to leave you with the, what I have identified for myself and my own understanding of faith and my own pastoral identity to be the most important ideas that I know about being a Christian, about being a person of faith, about following Jesus. So I want to give you um, one last thing before I go, except that, it, of course, it's going to be three last things uh, <laughs> before I go. Um, I started out with one, and I'm like, no, nah, that's not happening. Um, <clears throat> before I do that, I do want to say some words of thanks to a handful of people. Uh, because this is a significant thing for a pastor to leave the congregation for this much time. And it would never have happened without uh, significant involvement of, of some people. So first of all, the, the Pastoral Relations Committee, which is a committee that kind of helps manage the relationship between the pastor and the congregation and looks out for the pastor's health and spiritual well-being um, was the first group of people to say yes we think you should take a sabbatical and this was, it was years ago now and 
um, without that first group saying, yes, we affirm this idea, it, it would have just kind of um, died in the idea stage. And then very quickly, the entire leadership team, um, which is different members then than has now, um, some of them overlap, but not all. The leadership team got on board, um, and so I'm very thankful to them as well. And then when we committed to the idea of it, uh, I formed a committee to help me write a grant proposal because I wanted to receive um, a gigantic pile of money to take on this, <laughs> by my standards, um, on this trip. Uh, and the Lilly Foundation, it turns out, gives out sizable sums uh, to pastors taking renewal sabbaticals. But you have to, it's a very competitive grant writing process, and I needed some help. So everybody on the grant writing team made this happen, and I couldn't have done it without all of you. Um, and then I, I will say, I, 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 I almost hesitate to single out one person, but I do need to single out Angela Gladding. Um, and if for no other reason that she has served on all three of those teams. <laughs> Um, but also, Angela, as the chairperson uh, at present at Artisan, is really taking the lead on, uh, for the last couple of months and for the, the months to come during the sabbatical on kind of overseeing the whole thing and all of the stuff that's going on while I'm away. Um, and so she uh, is, has been a huge help to me and uh, to this whole idea. And uh, Pastor Jesse is taking on extra stuff as well. Um, at least she's getting paid <laughs> to do it a little bit. Um, but Angela has been a huge volunteer. Um, and so a thank you to all of those people I just mentioned. And then thank you to each one of you, too, because the truth is um, it's really special that, that the whole congregation could be behind something like this. Not every pastor has this blessing of a congregation who understands and affirms what's happening here and wants their pastor to, to be healthy in the long term and says, yes, do this. And um, just on top of that most recent example, there's so many other examples of how you have been um, a congregation that's been a joy to be the pastor to because um, you've, you've cared for my family in special ways. You've, you've cared for me in special ways. I don't know if you know how unusual it is, particularly with the pastor's family, to have a congregation that's so supportive. And the church is... Uh, unfortunately, just tend to chew up and spit out pastors and their families, their spouses and, and kids, if they have them. And that, that's not been the case here at Artisan. It's been almost 15 years, and I, don't, I can't think of a single time when somebody said something like, you know, that I've heard uh, who knows how many other times in other churches I've been in to Tracy or Teddy or Abel. And uh, so thank you so much for... Uh, the way you've cared for my whole family and for affirming this idea. All right. Uh, let me tell you one last thing before I go. What I want you to know, maybe more than anything else right now, <laughs> is that Jesus is what God has to say. You heard at the call to worship that one of my favorite Bible texts from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. 
By the way, if that sounds really familiar to you, I just need to tell you this is not going to be like a lot of new material in this particular <laughs> sermon, right? The reason I chose the things I want to talk about today is because they inform almost all my other preaching, because they're so central to my understanding of my own faith, um, and the best I can do is impart that to you. So if, if all of this sounds familiar, that's probably a sign that at least I'm, I'm uh, on message <laughs> most of the time. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, or as I say when I give the gospel in chairs sermon, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. God's people haven't always known this, but now we do. Because Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the true word of God. We talk about the Bible and we use the phrase word of God sometimes, and that's all well and good. The Bible is the word of God, written words on a page, literally. But Jesus is the true word of God. Jesus is the the great logos, the logic of God. Uh, Jesus is the word that was with God in the beginning, long before we had a Bible. John chapter 1 tells us that. I could go through spend some more time with this, go into Colossians chapter 1, all these texts in the New Testament that point us to Jesus as the perfect representation of God's very nature. The reason this is important is because we need to look to Jesus above and beyond every other way we can possibly know or understand God. And so nothing I ever say should take precedence over the God that's revealed to us in Jesus. Nothing that you ever read online or in a devotional should ever take precedence over the witness of the true word of God. Indeed, nothing you read in the pages of the Bible, if it seems contradictory to the God who's revealed in the person of Jesus, should take precedence over that revelation because Jesus is the final word. Jesus is what God has to say. Now, there is a caveat here. It is somewhat tempting to say, it's an oversimplification, and it's also tempting to say, I like the Jesus who's my buddy. I want the buddy Christ. I don't want that mean old God from the Old Testament. Right? Have you ever said something like that or thought something like that? Despite what I just said about Jesus being the way we have to understand all the texts that came in the Bible uh, before and since, uh, the 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 life of Jesus on earth. We have to be careful that we don't say um, we want to trust Jesus first and then never actually really study Jesus, never actually obligate ourselves to obey his teachings, and then, importantly for what I'm saying right now, never actually think through or study what Jesus himself said about the Jewish scriptures. Spoiler alert, Jesus said a lot about the Jewish scriptures. So he comes not to abolish that, but to fulfill it. That's what he himself said. So, if the idea that Jesus is what God has to say seemed at first to be a nice, easy way of tying up everything there is to do with faith, well, you might have confused simple with easy. Do you see the difference between those two things? The idea that Jesus is what God has to say is a simple concept, but it is not easy to understand, it is not easy to apply, it is not easy to live our lives according to that truth. In fact, I am convinced for myself and for any of you who wish to take this idea seriously that this is going to be the work of our lifetime. 
understanding who Jesus is, what Jesus teaches us, how we ought to live in the way of Jesus, how we ought to uh, act in the way that Jesus modeled, how we ought to understand the rest of Scripture through a Christological lens. That's the work of a lifetime. So if you'll allow me to use a, a travel metaphor as I get ready to head out of here, it doesn't make the journey any shorter It doesn't make the journey any safer. It doesn't make the journey any less uncomfortable at times. But it does give us a north star. We know where the truth lies because Jesus is what God has to say. Let me give you one last thing before I go. (laughs) I want you to know that faith is trust not certainty. I told you it was, all not, it was not going to be new material. <laughs> Faith is trust, not certainty. That seems to be a fairly obvious and straightforward statement. If you just open up Webster's and looked at the definition of those words, you would see that they're not the same thing. Right? But here's the problem with that. We read in our Bibles that we're saved by faith, not by works, so that no one will boast. And that verse... And others like it became the watchwords of the Protestant Reformation. And that's where we have received our stream of the Christian faith, through the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestants said, we are saved by faith, not by works, so that no one would be too Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) They changed the ending of the verse, but that's what they meant. I just promise you, that's what they meant. (laughs) And here's the bigger problem. We who exist in that, on that branch of the tree of Christianity have given the word faith a definition that it has just become another work. Right? A sentence like this, faith is trust, not certainty, is meaningless until you can define your terms. And we have defined the term faith to mean uh, something that looks a lot like work. Right? And that's not any better than what anybody else has ever done, trying to be saved by works. We're just trying to be saved by a different work that we happen to call faith so that we can say we're biblical. Hmm? So, let me explain what I mean. If we are saved by faith, I believe we are, but if we're saved by faith and we define faith as perfectly consistent intellectual agreement with a list of doctrines, then, uh, ding, I want to get off the bus at the next stop, please. Because the problem there is the moment you have any kind of question or doubt or, God forbid, a rejection of a particular doctrine, then you don't have what we have defined to be faith anymore and you are lost. And that's further complicated by the fact that every church you walk into has a different list with a bunch of checkboxes next to it. And sometimes the first thing they ask you is, uh, you seem to be having a problem with number seven. And if you don't have that, then you don't have faith as we've defined it. And guess what? You are not saved. Because I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. We're saved by faith. And this is faith, and this is you, and you see the problem? Do you see the problem? So I have come to understand that faith means something different entirely. Faith is not a certainty or an intellectual agreement. Faith is trust. Specifically, it is trust in Jesus. And I am here to tell you that you can trust Jesus without suspending your sense of reason, that you can trust Jesus without silencing the critical thinking that you might 
apply to the rest of the world? That you can trust in Jesus without um, abandoning the, the understandings of the world that you get through science, etc., etc., etc. Thank you. <laughs> Faith is trust in Jesus that is exemplified by action. Right? This is why uh, one of the other books of the Bible says, Faith without works is dead. So, yes, we're saved by faith, not by works, but works are the evidence of true faith. And so if there are no works, we know there is no faith, and that's where the problem comes in, right? That's why Martin Luther wanted to remove the book of James from the Bible. I'm not joking with you. Martin Luther wanted to remove the book of James from the Bible. He called it an epistle full of straw. He was a nice fellow. (laughs) So there's a story in the Gospel of Mark that I think illustrates uh, this idea of faith as trust, not certainty, almost perfectly. And uh, it hasn't been read in the service yet today, so let me read it to you now. It's from Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read 17 and 18 and then 20 through 24. If you'd like to follow along with me, uh, you can, page 821, or you can just listen as I read it. Um, Someone from the crowd answered him, "'Teacher, I brought you my son.' He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whatever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Now, I'm going to pause here to skip a few verses, not just because we kind of get the mean Jesus, and I don't want to talk about that right now. Um, I mean, I acknowledge it's there, but I just don't have time. I've, I've only got one more thing. Um, but I also want to pause to to acknowledge something that I see in this text, which maybe you see too. It seems pretty clear to me that this young boy has not a demon, but what? Epilepsy. Yeah. Right. And Jesus, I think, if you read through the story, seems to know that too. And um, that's maybe why the disciples are having some trouble with it. Um, but Jesus doesn't always seem, see fit to let you know everything that's going on. Jesus just kind of does the Jesus thing and, and you experience it. Um, so here's what happens. Verse 20, they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able... All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen. Yeah, so if I was going to give the extra sermon in that interlude, it would be like we, we still treat um, in the church, sometimes we still treat illnesses and disabilities as, as like demonic possession. And uh, we should not do that. That's extremely harmful to people who have those experiences of life. And um, I'm, I'm tempted to just kind of go on a rant there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it because it's not one of the things. <laughs> I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you see what happened here? Jesus is there, and the man brings the boy to Jesus. What is he doing by bringing his son to Jesus? He's exhibiting trust. He trusts Jesus enough to bring the boy to him. He trusts Jesus enough to hope against hope that Jesus can do something about it. And yet, right there in the moment, 
faced with Jesus, he suddenly says, I don't have 100% intellectual agreement right now. I can't make myself believe with a certainty that you are about to heal my son. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't condemn him. Jesus didn't say to him, why don't you come back later when your faith is strong enough to save you? No, Jesus healed the boy. And no doubt, the man's faith increased as a result. But the the miracle didn't come as a result of the faith. It's the other way around. So don't be discouraged. And certainly, don't excommunicate yourself when your belief needs a little bit of a boost. If you find yourself, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Know that you are in very good company and that faith is not certainty. Definitely not agreement with a list of doctrines, but faith is trust in Jesus that results in just a little bit of action, just the very next thing you can do. So, Jesus is what God has to say. Faith is trust, not certainty. One last thing before I go. Good questions lead to a deeper faith. Good questions lead to a deeper faith. You know, um, we heard the text read before the sermon uh, of the giving of the greatest commandment. And most believers, I think, are aware to some extent of that, that teaching of Jesus, that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have, and there's one like it, the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, By the way, Jesus is quoting the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, in both of those commandments. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy and from that warm, fuzzy book of Leviticus. And so Jesus is affirming Torah and and, um, giving us a framework for how to understand the the Old Testament scriptures, which brings us back to the first idea, but I don't have time for that right now. Most people know that that the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor, What you might not realize is that this, perhaps the greatest teaching in the whole Bible, was given in response to a question. And it wasn't even really that very sincere of a question. A lot of times in these gospel stories, the people asking Jesus questions are trying to trick him. It never works. (laughs) They just end up looking dumb. Um, But it's not super clear in this one, but it sure seems like this is one of those times where they're like, let's see if Jesus can handle this one. Because whatever he says, we're going to give him trouble. And then he gives them an answer that gives them trouble. (laughs) One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him which commandment is first of all. That's the setup for the greatest commandment teaching. Love God, love your neighbor. All the law and prophets hang on these two You can understand the entirety of God's revelation in Scripture through these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. It all comes in response to a question. So good questions lead us to deeper faith. And I think one of our problems as um, people of faith is that we try to stockpile answers as if they're weapons. 
so that we can defend ourselves against the attacks of who knows, the devil, the unbelievers, the Baptists. <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't a Baptist, so I can't, <laughs> it's an easy one for me. We stockpile answers when what we maybe should do is, is um, put our sword away, like Jesus told Peter. You know, fellas, lay down your spears, is the, the gospel according to Damien Rice. <laughs> and instead, we should open ourselves to mystery, to wonder, to change, to adaptation and evolution of our understanding. Because that's the thing. If you're asking questions and you mean it, you might be in for a, a change of mind right now. That's what Lent was all about for us this year. Change your mind. True repentance is changing your mind. So instead of having a question and then seeking an answer that will close it off and tidy it up and put it in a box so that it's on our shelf and we never have to worry about it again, I would suggest to you that the better thing to do when you have a question, as you're seeking an answer, also seek a better question. Because not all questions are created equal. And good questions lead us to deeper faith. Don't run from them. Run into them. That's all I know. Fifteen years of ministry, half of my career. I typed those words out this week, and I'm like, half of my career? No, that's not it. <laughs> I can't. Fifteen years, though. Could be half. Let's go with one-third. A third of my pastoral career has been dedicated, uh, let's say one quarter. It's a quarter of my pastoral career has been dedicated to understanding these three things. This is, this is what I can give you as I leave for a while. Jesus is what God has to say. Faith is trust, not certainty. And good questions lead to a deeper faith. I offer it to you with a humble and a grateful heart. May it serve you well. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful to you for this beloved community, for this congregation of people that you have built up here at Artisan Church. I pray for them as um, Tracy and Abel and I leave for a period of time, uh, that their experience would be rich and joyful, that they would be restored just as we are restored, that they would um, take even deeper ownership of the work that you are doing in and through them in this place. I pray for these, my friends here at Artisan, that they would understand Jesus to be the perfect revelation of you, O oh God. I pray that they would trust Jesus, exhibiting faith in action, even when belief and intellectual agreement is hard to come by. And I pray, Lord, finally, that you would bless them with good questions. And a few answers, but mainly a sense of awe and wonder that will draw them closer to you, deeper into your life of faith and into the world that you love. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, it's a joy one last time to offer a Holy Communion to you. Our communion table is open as we continue to sing, and you are invited to come and receive. 
There's uh, gluten-free bread, regular bread. There's juice and wine. Choose the combination that's best for you. If you'd like to remember your own baptism, you can do that on your way here. If you um, would like to receive prayer instead of or in addition to communion, there'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room. Your kids are welcome to take communion with you if you'd like, or you can get them right after you're done. But may it be for you the real presence of Jesus the Savior. May it be an act of remembering his broken body and his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. And may it be a means of unity with each other and with Christians around the world and throughout time. His grace is on offer for you. Come and receive as we continue to worship. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.